Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to be starting. And so if you have a Bible, turn there with me this morning. Matthew 26. We're going to read just a few verses here. And then we're going to go over to John chapter 19. So Matthew 26 is where we're going to begin. And uh, I agree with what Greg just prayed. I am so thankful to be back together with you physically uh, this week. And uh, it was just strange not being here last Sunday. And uh, I'm really appreciative of all those that tuned in on Facebook and uh, watched the devotion there. Um, I told Sandra, I said that was probably the more, most nerve-wracking thing I've done is uh, a Facebook Live video. And the reason being, it's not that you're being recorded per se, it's live. And so, uh, and then it's stored forever on Facebook. So if you make a mistake... It's there forever. And so uh, that just goes through your mind when you're doing a devotion like that. But uh, it was a really great suggestion by one of the men on our board to do that. And uh, I thought it was a great way to kind of still communicate some truth uh, Sunday morning. And so we do hope that you had a blessed weekend last weekend. And, uh, but we are so thankful to be together today. Last weekend we were preparing to do communion. And so this morning we are going to be celebrating communion. And uh, to be honest, we are celebrating one of the things if we're being honest, that has united the body of Christ for over 2,000 years. For over 2,000 years, the body of Christ has partaken in what's known as the Lord's Supper or communion. The act of taking the Lord's Supper or communion can be traced back to the very first church. In the midst of all the persecution the church endured, they consistently held this time as sacred. And my prayer this morning is that we are treating this time the same way. That when we gather together around this communion table, as we call it, as we gather around a share of the blood and the, and the body that was broken and spilled for us, my prayer is that we will do it with a heart of reverence, a heart of humility before the Lord. Because what we can do if we're not careful, because we're human beings and we're creatures of habit, what we can do is treat this time as any other Sunday, as any other time gathering together, as any other opportunity just to come to have a good meal after church today. If you're part of Forever Young, they're having their potluck today. And, and it's tempting to just kind of fall into the norm of that. But I want to challenge all of our thinking this morning to stop. And as I prayed this morning, to be still before the Lord's table. Because what we're partaking in this morning is not a religious act. It's not just something we do at church. This is the one thing that we could see outside of the person and presence of Christ that has united the body of Christ together across cultural barriers, across continental barriers. No matter where the body of Christ met on planet Earth in the last 2,000 years, the one thing that was common among all of them, outside of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the celebrating of the Lord's Supper and communion. And we get to be a part of that today. And that gets me so excited to think about what we're taking part in today and the heritage that we're joining in today in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can forget what this is even all about. We can forget why we're even doing this today. Let me just say this at the onset. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, maybe you've gone to church before. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you've been baptized as a child. Maybe you have no knowledge of the gospel. I don't know where you are in your life, but you don't know Christ personally. And you've gone to church and you've done that whole thing and you're a good person and you do good things. 
as boldly as I can and as much as love and grace as I can share, your good works, your church attendance, your baptism, apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ, will not save you. That the Bible says that apart from Christ and receiving by faith his gift of salvation, you are still in your sin. And because you are in your sin, you are liable for the weight and the consequence of that sin. And the consequence of our sin is not purgatory. It's not a short time away from God's presence where we can earn off or or work off rather and earn our way back into heaven. That's not how that works. If you grew up in a Catholic home or a different denomination that taught you that purgatory was in here, I invite you. I I would love to have a conversation with you where you can show me in Scripture where this idea exists because I just don't see it in here. But what I do see in the book of Romans is a very powerful verse that says, For the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. And as much as that breaks our hearts to think about that, the verse doesn't end with a period there. It ends with, or it goes into a comma, which says then the next, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That we can have forgiveness of our sins, not by what we do, but by what he has already done for us. And maybe you're here and you're a Christian today and you know Christ and you've known him for a long time and you're like, I know the gospel. Man, I I understand the gospel. I've received Christ. Then let me tell you, you need to be on guard against a different kind of temptation this morning. And you're going to be tempted with one thing from the enemy and one thing from your flesh this morning that you got it all figured out and that you know all about this and this is nothing new. And you're going to go through this whole service today and you're going to leave the exact same way you came in. Not because God wasn't speaking to you or because the Holy Spirit wasn't leading you, because you hardened your heart to what he was saying today. You deafened your ears to what he was saying today because I got this, I'm good. We need to decide willingly and honestly to be changed by the person and work of Christ. And so Matthew chapter 26, look at verse 17. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 17. We're just going to read verse 17 and then we're going to go to verse 26. So Matthew chapter 26 and verse 17. Let's look at this verse together. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where will thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? Go to verse 26 of Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Let's bow in a word of prayer as we allow the Holy Spirit to imply the the truth of this text to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would not just lay flat on the page to us, but it would come alive to us. That we would be open to what you have for us, that we would engage your word and your word would have the freedom by the working of your Holy Spirit to change our hearts and to change our minds and to open us up, to break us from the change of, chains of apathy and tradition, but just to understand what this really is that we're celebrating today. That we would be at, at peace with what you have for us. But that we would also desire to see you more, to know you more to grow closer to you, to know your presence like never before. And so Lord, I pray that for my heart, 
that you would challenge me in my thinking, that you would help me to see things in a new way. Maybe even seeing them as they've really always been before I changed them and made them something else. That we would come, as the songwriter said, in the heart of worship, desiring to worship you in spirit and in truth. As we take of this communion, something that is uniting us with churches that existed 2,000 years ago, with the very first believers, we join with them in taking of this time this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that you would lead, guide, and direct in all these things, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first Lord's Supper was a celebration and took place, rather, during the celebration of Passover. Many of you know in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were in bondage, uh, they took part in a celebration feast. And what they did was they put blood on the doorpost of their houses during the plagues that Pharaoh was receiving because, from God because he would not let God's people go. And as this is all going on here, plague after plague after plague, God is trying to soften Pharaoh's heart. God is trying to change the situation so that he would let God's people go. But Pharaoh had reached a point of such hardness of his heart that God just merely agreed with Pharaoh and said, fine, if you want to harden your heart against me, then your heart is hardened. And he was sending one final plague on the people of Egypt. And he said he was sending his angel and that whoever did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, their firstborn son would be taken. And as this was transpiring, all of God's people gathered around a meal and began to celebrate the Passover where God's angel passed over them because they were obedient to the command of, of, of the Lord and put the blood on their doorpost. And other homes saw the loss of life. It was only after this that Pharaoh said, fine, get your people and go. But even in that, his anger was not content, and he went after them. And God did a great miracle, rescuing and redeeming the people of God. And it's in this setting, during this meal of this celebration, this idea of the Passover, the idea of judgment being passed over them, not because of anything they did, because they were just obedient to God's word and followed what he said to do in an act of faith that God decided to pass over them. And it's in this context that Jesus stands and says in verse 26, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my body. And the cup, and he gave thanks and gave it to them. Verse 27 saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed abroad for the many for the remission of sins. It was the image of the Passover that Christ spoke of the New Covenant or New Testament, New Promise. It was an image of this idea in this context culturally for these Jewish men that would understand what Jesus was saying. He was saying, just like God established a covenant with Abraham and showed you all the way through to the promised land, I'm starting a covenant with you, and I will see you all the way through to my promised land, to my shores of peace and rest and joy, and not because of what you do, but will you just be obedient to what I'm asking you to do by faith? I mean, do we see the parallel here? Do we see that God of the Old Testament is not different than the God of the New Testament? And there's this horrible misconception in the church. God of the Old Testament, angry, wrathful, mean, nasty God. God of the New Testament, soft, gentle, loving, gracious Jesus. Like they're two ends of a spectrum. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Father and the Son are one. Therefore, they are not two different gods. They're the very same God. Jesus is communicating to them, just like God spared the lives of, of your ancestors in Egypt. I want to spare your life, but not just merely from physical death, 
but from spiritual death. I want to see you have life. So why do we celebrate today? Go over to John chapter 19. Why do we celebrate this? Why is this such a big deal? What did Christ really go through for us in trying to spare our lives in the sense of giving us life for eternity? What is it that we are celebrating today? John chapter 19, and I know we're going to read a text that is very powerful. A text that many of you, I can't even read these words without it just crushing my heart. But I want to read through here just a few verses, and I want us to really kind of start to understand at least a little bit Man, what did he go through for us? What are we really celebrating? What does he mean when he says, my body is broken for you and my blood is spilled? What does that really look like? John chapter 19 and verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. That means whipped him, beat him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, hail king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. They punched him. Verse 17. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either one, on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. See, in that day, what they would do is above your cross would be your crime. If you were a murderer, it's a murderer. If you were a thief, it's a thief. He had no crime but that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. But did he really claim it? No, he let them tell him that that's what he was saying. His only crime was being king of the Jews. Was that a crime? Was he guilty of that crime? Absolutely, because he was king and is king of the Jews. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the lord of all the universe. He is everything. And the only crime they could peg on him was what he actually was, which was king. And when you read these verses, in verses 1 through 3, and even through the whole text, and you read what happened here, and him being beaten and tormented and mocked, mocking him, hail, king of the Jews. This is what he went through for you. This is what he did so you could have eternal life because he went to his cross, died on that cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose the third day so you could know him and the forgiveness of sins. So why do this? Why, why is this a big deal? Why does this even really matter to drink some juice and have a cracker? I mean, what's the big deal? And it's so much more than that. It's us coming together as the body of Christ and realizing as one that there is nothing we have as a hope for eternal life apart from the blood and the body of Christ which was given for us. And so I don't know about you, but I go through my week sometimes and I get so distracted by all this stuff. And every time I turn on, there's something weighing at me or pulling at me or distracting me from this. And sometimes it's just amazing to come into the house of God and just to worship him in this time. So again, if you don't know Christ, I am not asking you to join a religion or a denomination. I'm not asking you to be baptized right now. I'm not asking you to write a tithe check. I mean, you can if you want to. That's fine. We'll take it. I'm not saying that's required, though. What I'm saying is, do you know this truth for yourself? Have you personally received Jesus Christ? And not just a prayer, not just, oh, I believe, I don't want to go to hell. But I mean, have you really allowed him to speak into your heart and say, no, I, 
I know that I have sinned before God, and I am confessing that sin. I'm asking Christ to save me, and I'm surrendering all of me to him. It's not going to sound like that for everyone. The guy on the cross next to Jesus just said, remember me when you get into your kingdom. But you've got to remember, why did he pray that prayer? Was he just wanting not to get punished for his crimes? Was he trying to get off the hook? No, read the whole story. He understood exactly who Jesus was. And he said, I deserve this, but you don't deserve that. He never once asked for Christ to spare him of the cross. He never once asked to not die on the cross. He understood, no, this is a perfect consequence for what I've done in my life. This makes sense. But you are perfect Savior. You don't deserve this. Would you just remember me when you get in your kingdom? Humility. Acknowledgement of sin. Humility before Christ. Confession that you need him to get into his kingdom. These are key things that the thief on the cross prayed and cried out to in just saying, remember me. So do you know this for yourself? Have you really believed this today? Because why do we celebrate today? Because Christ gave himself for us. Christ gave himself for us. As we gather today, I want us to remember all that Christ endured as our sacrificial lamb to pay our ransom from our sin. We talked about the Passover and that Jesus was saying that in the context of Passover, he was giving himself, and he was giving himself as the lamb whose blood was bespilled. I love the term salvation in Scripture. The term salvation in Scripture means, by definition, to completely set free, to completely rescue. To completely set free and to completely rescue. We have been rescued and set free because of his cross. It isn't anything that we do that covers our sin. It is his gracious gift to extend his grace and righteousness to us. This is true in both covenants. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. In the old covenant and the new covenant, it was never by our own works. Genesis 15, 6. Here we see that Abraham is given righteousness by simply believing. People say, oh, well, he was given righteousness because he... He followed God's command with circumcision, and he followed God's command in doing these things. Circumcision isn't instituted until Genesis 17. It's in Genesis 15 when he just believes that God gives him righteousness. And that righteousness, that newness in God, that new faith, led to changes in action, which led to Genesis 17 and the covenants and Isaac later, in, in, later on in Genesis So when you see these things, it's not we do these things to get righteousness. No, no, no. We believe by faith God's word. He gives us his righteousness, and then we act that out in our lives. That is no different than what we see in the New Testament. We celebrate today because Christ gave himself for us, because he saved us. He rescued us from the penalty of sin, but also because it is our testimony. It is our testimony that we celebrate today. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We celebrate today because he gave himself for us, and we remember that. But we also celebrate today because it is our testimony as the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. It says here, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And if you're not careful, man, we read that every single communion. I read it because it's, it's the greatest way to kind of just summarize and simplify the church's role in communion. But do you know why also why I started reading that text? Every communion, the first probably four or five communions that I did as the pastor of this church, first four or five communions I, I did as leading the communion. Do you know why I read that passage? 
because that's what Tom read, the previous pastor. So, okay, well, it's communion time. 1 Corinthians 11, let's go. It's what you read during communion. Listen, this is my point. It's almost as though we don't even realize how we get so ingrained in this stuff. I didn't read 1 Corinthians 11 because the Lord was like, this is the passage I want you to share with the church. I read it because this is just what always was read to me. Is there anything wrong with reading 1 Corinthians 11 at communion? Of course not. But if we're not careful, we don't even deviate from it because this is just what we do. It's what we've always done. So that's what we're going to do again. And to me, it's, it's so important we understand this is not just a time of tradition or religious kind of obligation. It's our testimony. I mean, think about what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying that as Christians, the greatest way to show Christ's death and the gospel, really, is what? Taking communion? So wait, so this is the best way to show that Christ died for us. This is the best way to show the world that Christ gave himself for us. This is the greatest testimony, Paul says, to showing the Lord's death. How in the world is this doing any of that? How is this doing any of those, communica- or communicating any of those things to people in this world? I think it's because we're coming together in unity around the body of Christ. And we're as one saying, it's not us, it's him. And it's his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's our focal point as the church. And that's the greatest testimony that we can share to the world around us is it's not about us. Do you know the greatest thing that kind of stands against the testimony of the church? Disunity in the church. Division in his church is the greatest weapon the enemy is going to use to try to tear people away from the church or tear churches down is when they're just, just divided over the silliest things. So when we come together in unity as the body of Christ and we say we're taking of this bread and taking of this cup, it's the greatest testimony to show what Christ can do in people's lives. Next week, we're starting a new message series on worship. And we're going to look at just kind of some various topics in worship and what does worship look like and how do we kind of play that out in our lives and how we see that in our lives, the act of worship. And does it only mean music or does it only mean coming to church? Or if it isn't those things, what is it then? I mean, are there any kind of parameters to worship or is anything worshipful? Can we make anything a worship act? Or are there some things that God says in his word that need to be kind of thought about when we say we're worshiping him? And as we're thinking through that, the greatest way we can worship him this morning is by doing what we're called to do, which is showing the world that he died for us. So who do we announce this to? Who do we testify to? I believe we testify to the world. Think of it this way. Why did the Hebrews in the Old Testament place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts outside the door? Think about this for a second. Was it the blood on the doorposts that really saved them? No, it was the faith they placed in God, believing if I do this, I will be spared. So could they have not just put the blood anywhere? I mean, why not put it on the inside of the doorpost? It's not like God's going to say, oh, I didn't see the blood, so I have to come take your life now. It doesn't work that way, right? He's God. He can figure this out. So why put the blood on the outside of the doorpost? My personal opinion, and there's no answer to this, but I think it's a possible testimony to the Egyptians. It's a testimony to those in the community that, listen, we're trusting in God to spare us and to save us. It's an outward symbol of their inward faith. So maybe we, as we celebrate this time together, can realize how can we communicate this truth to the world around us? How can we be testimonies to those that don't know Christ? I mean, really think about it this way. How did the early church commemorate and communicate this sacrifice as a testimony to the world? I want to look at one more passage before we go to communion. Go over to Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2, all the way in the beginning of the book of Acts. We're going to see this idea of communion being talked about. And I want to show you something that I never thought about until preparing for this message. It never hit me this way until preparing for this message. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. Acts 2 and verse 42 says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed had together, were together and had all things common. Go to verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So this was established at the beginning of the early church that they were breaking bread. What does that even mean? The term breaking bread here refers to a common meal the believers would have together. At the end of the meal, they would take part in the Lord's Supper. You see this in 1 Corinthians 11. What was going on there? They were coming for the meal parts at the church. They were gathering together to have the meal stuffing themselves, getting drunk on the wine, and then going to communion thinking, this is all good, we can just do this. The poor people that were coming in with no food and had nothing to bring to the main meal were sitting there starving and hungry as the the rich were eating the food and just forgetting to be even generous to these others in the church. And then they'd go to the communion table together and think they were unified, think they were one, and there was no division. And Paul was saying, this is ridiculous. It's better you just stay home. It's better you not even come because... This is not good. This is not representing the body of Christ. This is not the unity in the church that Christ established. And so when you see this in the book of Corinthians, we understand there was division in the church, and we think about it in a church context. But here in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, it says they went house to house breaking bread. To be honest, this is something I have never really noticed before this way, that they didn't so much purposely go to each other's homes for communion. In the sense as we know it today, coming formally today for communion as the church. But just in everyday life, it was a part of their common time together. I love what one author said about this text. At the meal, they celebrated their communion with one another. At the Lord's Supper, they celebrated their communion with the risen Christ. So would we do this? Just a real simple challenge this morning. Would we do this? I want you to think about this. Would you, would I? Take time at the end of a meal with friends over at the house or maybe even at a restaurant. I mean, think about this. Honestly, think about this. This is what we just read, and we say this is our example. Would you go to a restaurant with some friends, and after the meal's over and you had some laughs and some joy and just some great fellowship, would one of you be daring enough to order maybe a couple rolls, reach up and grab a roll, and break it, and hand it to your friend across the table and say, let's take a moment to remember our communion with Christ as we celebrate our communion with one another in Christ. I mean, i got to tell you something. I've never done that. I've never had someone over the house and around the dining room table after we're done with dinner, and I've never thought about taking a piece of bread and breaking it and saying, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, and we're going to celebrate as the body of Christ the risen Savior today. Not because we have to, but because we're just going to do it because it's a part of our everyday life, just remembering and sharing this testimony of what Christ did for us. I've never even thought about doing that. 
It's never even entered my mind. When I read this text, you know what I've always thought of? This. I've always thought of this. And then I thought, well, they, they had fellowship meals together day to day and house to house. Look at the text. And when I studied it just a couple weeks ago for this message, it dawned on me that they weren't just having fellowship meals. It's the same terms. It's the same wording used later in 1 Corinthians and what we see in the church happening. So what became part of the church, because it says in the verse, in verse 46, with one accord, in the temple, that's their main large group gathering. There's a movement in the last so many years of house churches. I don't know if you guys have heard of this kind of, kind of a new, new thing. It's not new. I've been doing it for about 2,000 years. But there's this kind of growing trend to have house churches. And when I think about that, I think, oh, well, they only met really in the houses. I used to think this years ago. They met house to house and for church, so they just had it as part of their church service. But no, they met in the temple. They would meet together as a large group, and then during the week, they would just spend time together. It wasn't, we've got to stop thinking formality. It wasn't this formal or rigid thing. It was just this, it was just part of their lives. It was just everything to them. And so when they would be having dinner with someone that they hadn't maybe seen in a little bit, they would just say, hey, can we just take some time and break some bread and, and just remember what he did for us? take part in celebrating the Lord's Supper. So they would do this house to house just in everyday life is what that phrase house to house means. It doesn't mean they literally went to Bill's house this week and then to to Mike's house the next day and then to this person's house the next day and did it every single day. What it's saying is in the course of their everyday life, they would do it collectively together, of course, as we see in 1 Corinthians, but they would also do it individually. And I have to tell you something. It really bothers me that not doing this in my own life has never bothered me. I want to say that again. It bothers me that I've never thought about even doing this in my own life. That it's never bothered me before that I was completely missing out on something that's a large part of what we see in the early churches, unity and strength. And I don't know about you, but there are times that happens in my Christian life where I read something in Scripture, I'm like, wow, it kind of bothers me that that's never, that that's not in my life and it's never even bothered me. It's not there. Think about the area of prayer in our lives. When you read things about Jesus and disciples praying all night, how quickly can we just dismiss that and say, well, that's for them. It's not for me. I mean, does it bother us that it doesn't bother us that we don't do these things? But now this is where we got to be careful because some of you are going to be tempted to walk out here and go, okay. Like you're going to get your wife or your husband or your family together and say, okay, we're never having a meal without doing the Lord's Supper. Because pastor said, we're horrible Christians if we don't do this. No, it's not a law thing. This is what I want you to understand. It's just a freedom in the spirit thing. It's just, I'm saying, it's not a law, it's not a command. But I wonder if we are missing out on a valuable part of the unity in the body of Christ. So my challenge to you is this, as I've been challenged this week, would I even consider doing that at Applebee's? I mean, could you imagine? And you might think, man, people at the restaurant are going to think we're crazy. Well, how else are we going to let this be a testimony to the world if we're not doing it in the world? Now, we can testify of it here. Let's be real. I mean, people come into our church that don't know Christ. And maybe you're here and you've never known Christ. And this message is for you. As much as maybe you think, I don't get what this guy's talking about, Jesus and all this stuff. This is for you. So we know that this is a testimony to the world. By the way, we don't have to only be a testimony to the world in the world. We can be a testimony to the world right here as well. As you invite coworkers, neighbors, families, and friends to come to these services. 
I believe that's part of what it means to be the church as well. And again, aren't we just interesting creatures? We're always at one end of the spectrum or the other. It's either, no, no, I never go to big church because they're just corporate and formal and rigid and all this. I do this kind of church. You ever have a conversation with somebody like this? I have. Or if people say, well, I only go to big church and I never do anything outside of church because that's where I serve is at the church. I can't do anything outside the church. That's for the pastors and the deacons and the leaders to do. So we can't do either end. We have to say, okay, no, we gather together as the body of Christ weekly. Get this, by the way, some people come to church more than once a week. Just throwing that out there. Let that just kind of Holy Spirit soak that in. Some people actually gather together more than once and not because they're guilted or have to or because they got to make excuses why they can't. They just want to be with the body of Christ. Isn't that a foreign thought in American Christianity today? But you know what gets me excited is more and more I talk to people. These, some of these generations that are coming up right now that a lot of older generations are looking down on and just ripping apart. Do you know that some areas in our country are seeing great revival and growth in the church because 20-somethings are reconnecting with the truth of Scripture and saying we're going to be biblically sound? Some of the most amazing preaching I hear on YouTube and some of this is from younger pastors. Younger men that are just on fire for the Lord and pre- they're tired of fake, phony Christianity. And the result isn't abandon the church. The result is influence the church with the person and work of Christ. And that's where we're seeing some changes in churches. So as we gather together, why do we gather together? Because we want to be not just a testimony to the world, but also to each other in unity and oneness of mind. And see, some of you, like I said, when you read these verses about spending every day or so much time at church and and doing all these things, you're like, oh, but you just don't know my schedule. That's easy for you to say, you're the pastor, you're paid to be here. You might say, nobody would ever say that to you. No, but I'm sure people have thought it. I've invited people to a service, and they'll look at me and go, well, you just don't know how busy I am, pastor. I'm sorry. And I usually, I'll, I'll look at Sandra, and I'll say, what is that like to be busy? I don't have any idea. I just get to, like, walk through life and float through life, no concerns. I'm at church 24-7 because it, it's just great. I love it. No concerns. No, no, no. I'm not busy. I mean, do you see how silly it can be when we think these things? Because if you make it rigid and you make it a law, then it's going to be a weight and you're going to abandon it in six weeks. Just like those resolutions that we all made. When it's a law and a weight and it just weighs us down. But when it's just, wait a minute, I want to take part in all the things that are the church. I want to be a part of everything that God is doing in the church. And if that means spending some time together with brothers and sisters, breaking the bread and taking of the cup, then we're going to do that. I don't care if I'm at Applebee's, I'm at home, or I'm at church. Could you imagine the waitress coming over to your table and saying, I'm sorry, can I just ask, what are you doing? Like I saw you guys all pass out bread, and then you prayed, and then you took of a drink, and you all prayed over that, and then you just... Celebrated together. What is going on at this table? And you get to tell them, let me tell you about how Christ has changed my life. I mean, could you imagine the, the testimony, how that would ripple through our community? And it can happen if we will decide to be bothered by the things that don't usually bother us in Scripture. But I'm going to tell you this. There's some negativity in the world today, especially in the church, that this can't really happen. That what I just told you about celebrating the Lord's Supper at any given time, at home, at a restaurant, that that can't happen today. 
that that was only for then. Listen to what one author said, J. Vernon McGee, who has a whole line of commentaries, who I mostly agree with, but I vehemently disagree with this comment. Listen to what he says in regards to Acts 2 and the unity of the early church. He says this, This type of living would never work today. This is an exact quote. Would never work today because we have too many carnal Christians. Now, I understand what he's saying here. There is a lot of carnal Christians. What's a carnal Christian? A carnal Christian is somebody that knows Christ as Savior but lives as though they don't. They're not practically living for Christ. They're, they're in sin, but it's no big deal because it's not hurting anybody, and the culture says I'm okay to be in sin. That's a carnal Christian. And there's some truth to what he said, I guess, in some sense, that yes, if that happens in a church, it is hard to see this. But to say it would never work today, I disagree with. Strongly disagree with. Because last time I checked, there is nothing impossible for God. Last time I checked, if we as a body of Christ would unite together under the power of the Holy Spirit and just willingly say, I'm submitting to that, we can see this type of unity that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and see the fullness of what God's church can be in this community. I said it in my prayer, and every time there's a mass tragedy, we seem to go back to this. You want to know what's going to change our community? I'm not against laws. I'm not against rallies. I'm not against legislation. I'm not against debate. I'm not against conversation in the political realm. It's all healthy and all needed. There's never one solution for everything. So we have to have those conversations. But I'm telling you right now, as so many of us said, you cannot legislate morality. I cannot make enough laws to change your heart. I can put a lot of things in place that might hinder or slow you down from doing an evil thing, but if an evil person commits to do an evil act, they will do an evil act. Whether it's Genesis with Cain and Abel and a stone, or a young man in Florida who is spiritually confused and hurting in such a way that he decides to take people's lives. It's, it's, this, is, this is the human condition. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the Lapeer Pregnancy Center, and Shane made a comment that I thought was so pointed and right on. That it's not about trying to make abortion illegal so much as it's making it intolerable. It makes it where we just decide, this can't even happen. I don't need a law to tell me this is wrong. I just know this is wrong. I mean, that's really what we're talking about is a heart condition. And what changes the heart? What's the only thing, the only person that can change our hearts is the person of Jesus Christ. And so we endeavor to be the church, not so that we can grow a church, so that we can reach people for Christ. So their hearts can be changed, their minds can be made new, and they can see the fullness of life and what it is to know Christ personally. So why do we celebrate today? Why are we even gathering together? Why do we take time to do this? Because he gave everything for us. He gave his life for us on the cross. Romans says it this way, that some of us, some of us might die for a righteous man. But I don't know that if I said, all right, and I'll use the most recent example, and if this offends you in any way, shape, or form, I hope you understand it's an illustration to make a point. If I said the young man from Florida was sentenced to death, but if one of you will take his spot, that he could live. I don't know. I think in this context, in this setting, someone might stand and say, oh, I would, brother. I would do that for him. But I think in our heart of hearts, we know that if push came to shove, 
I don't think any of us would really step to the plate and die for that young man after what he did. I think some of us would even say, well, he deserves what he gets. And there is a consequence to our actions. That's, that's completely true. And if there's a consequence that our legal system hands to this young man, he is liable for it because he committed the act. I do not disagree with that. My point I'm making is this. If Billy Graham was going to die, and I said one of you could take his spot and so that he could live, and you'd give his life for a man that saw thousands of people come to Christ, some of you might go, I'd step up for Billy Graham. I'd give my life for that man. I mean, look what he did for God. But if I said, here's this young man from Florida, or here's, here's Jeffrey Dahmer, or any other known psychopath serial killer, I don't think we'd be lining up to take his spot. And Jesus, however, took the spot of the worst of the worst of the worst. And not because we earned it, deserved it, or were worthy of it. Purely because he said, I love you this much that I want you with me for eternity. I'll give my life for you. And if you would just trust by faith in the salvation he's offering, you can know him forever. And if you've done that, then this morning, maybe you would celebrate a little bit different this morning. Maybe this morning as you come around this table in just a little bit, that it wouldn't just be a quick taking of the bread and taking of the cup. Maybe you would take a few moments just in the stillness, just worship him. In closing, we're going to pray and we're going to have an invitation. But here's what I you know, we're doing things a little different this morning. So I'm going to let you know what we're doing before we get there. We did this, I don't know, I was trying to remember when it was, maybe a year ago, a little more, maybe something like that. So we're not going to take communion the normal way this morning. And here's what I want to do this morning. And I want us to think about what everything we just talked about, the unity in the church the oneness in the church. So we're going to pray. We're going to have a short invitation. The band is going to come. We're going to do a couple verses of a song. And I want you to take that time and just ask him to just cleanse you of whatever's going on right now. That you confess any sin that needs to be confessed. That you would repent of anything that's going on right now. And just say, Lord, would you forgive me? And as Paul says, make our hearts right. That our minds and our hearts would be in the right place. If there's any disunity or division between you and somebody in this church, I pray that if you haven't already, that you would go to that person in this time of prayer and maybe you would just go to them and say, listen, would you forgive me? I'm sorry for what I did. Or maybe you need to go to somebody and say, listen, I forgive you for what you did. Jesus says, don't just come to the altar and take your, leave your, lay your gift down as though everything's fine if there's different division between you and a brother. But go to them, reconcile that, and then come and worship. And so maybe during this time of prayer, you would do that. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you can't go to physically and there's division there. Maybe you would just take a moment and just say, God, would you help me forgive that person of this? And as soon as I'm po- it's possible that I would make this right. That's what this prayer time is for. And then following the invitation, here's what we're going to do. The kids are going to come in in just a few moments. And as they come in, they're going to find you, their family, and they're going to sit with you. This is going to be the older kids. And we invite you as a family as a couple or even as an individual, that we're going to be down here, myself and a couple of the deacons are going to be down here in just a little bit. And we're going to remind you of all this in a few minutes, but we're going to invite you to come and you're going to partake of the elements as you see fit as a family. Maybe you want to come and as a family bend a knee and say some prayer or have a prayer time and do that first and then come and take of the, the bread and the cup. Whatever God is leading you, and it's free to just come as you feel like, 
don't feel like you have to line up and do all that. It's, don't make it a law thing. It's just a, a time to come and celebrate Christ together. And, and here's what we're going to do. The, the couple of deacons that will be with me, if you're here this morning and you're your health kind of prohibits you from coming forward easily and those kind of things. Please don't feel weird about that or, or awkward about that. We want to serve you. And so those men are going to serve some of us that are maybe a little bit, it's a little more difficult to come forward. And so if that's you, then just don't even worry about it. You can stay right in your seat. And we would be honored to serve you in that way. But maybe you want to come in just a few moments and, and take part in this communion today. And so let's do this. We're going to bow in prayer. And as I pray, the band is going to come. And like I said, we're going to do a couple of verses of a song together and worship him. Maybe you want to pray during that time. Maybe you want to sing. Maybe you want to go to that person in the church that you need to forgive or ask to be forgiven of. And then after that, we'll gather for communion. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We ask, Father, that you would lead God in direct in this time. Lord, we know that this is a little bit of a different way of doing communion, and we pray that it would be a way that would honor you in all things, that you would be glorified in all of this. Father, we ask that you would be with that one here today, Lord, that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. They would come to know him. If there's someone here, Lord, that needs to confess the sin that they've been living in, I pray you'd give them the boldness and the courage to do that, to confess to you, to receive your grace, to rediscover the joy of their salvation, and to walk in the newness of a new faith. Father, whatever you're doing today, would you just work in and through us as we worship you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing just these couple verses together? Would you worship him this morning? Again, maybe you want to pray there where you are. Maybe you want to come and pray at the altar. Maybe you want to have that conversation with someone today. Whatever you're doing, may it all be for his glory as we worship him together this morning.